for each they had provided a hood and a cloak, made according to his size, of the light but warm silken stuff that the gladrium wove. It was hard to say of what colour they were, grey with hue of twilight under the trees they seemed to be, and yet, if they were moved or set under another light, they were green as shattered leaves, brown as fallow fields by night, dusk silver as the water under the stars. Each cloak was fastened about the neck with a brooch, like a green leaf veined with silver. The Fellowship of the Ring. Farewell to Lorien. Megavan and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoot. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week, we are covering Farewell to Lorien. Well, Mel, I'm sorry to say that we don't have any outside help wrapping up the book so far. So you're going to have to go from the beginning of Fellowship until this chapter. Are you up for it? I can do it. But if any of our lovely listeners wants to help me out, please send a 30-second recap of Fellowship of the Book One to podmoot at gmail.com. Okay, Mel, here you go. So Frodo is a hobbit living in the Shire and he gets this ring from his uncle Bilbo that is like super bad. So he goes, starts a quest with Merry, Pippin and Sam and they head across Middle-earth going to Rivendell. They pick up Strider along the way in Rivendell after Frodo is stabbed. They form a company of nine companions and they've passed through all these lands and through a mountain where they lost Gandalf. Very sad. They've now come to Lorien where uh, Frodo uh, had to look in a magic mirror with Galadriel and then she was tested to see if she would take the ring from him and she passed the test and now she's like, okay, you need to go on with your quest. And done. (laughs) Well done as always. (laughs) Thank you. But Kristen, can you cover in 30 seconds what happened this week? The company gathers before their last night in Lorien. Boromir misspeaks and Frodo is worried. The elves give them supplies and boats and cloaks and rope. Yay, Sam has rope. The swan vessel of Celeborn and Galadriel meets them and invites them to a final feast where each is presented a special gift. Aragorn, a sheath and a green stone. Sam, some blessed earth. Gimli asks for three of Galadriel's house. Frodo gets a vial of light. They get back in the boats, head on and enter the Great River. Very good. <laughs> You're getting good at this, Kristen. Well, honestly, this chapter, there was just a lot of stuff I left out on my recap because it's actually kind of jam packed for uh, let's just get in the boats and get on the way. Like there's actually a lot that happens and, and, and it's a shorter chapter, too. And it was super enjoyable to read. Well, Kristen, new characters this week. We don't have any, but we have a new name to add to name that ranger. We find out the name of Elazar is another one that's given to Aragorn and it's given by Galadriel. I love this. I love this game. I love all the names. <laughs> we'll definitely have to dive into it more when we get to that part of the chapter. So we knew that it was about time to go. And sure enough, it's time for the company to head on out. But Celeborn invites them all And basically says, if anybody doesn't want to keep going, you're welcome to stay here as long as Lorien lasts. And and he even admits that we're not sure how long Lorien is going to last. And I love how he says it because it's saying, here those who wish may await the oncoming of the hour till either the ways of the world lie open again or we summon them to the last need of Lorien. Then they may return to their own lands 
or else go to the long home of those that fall in battle. So either you stay or you go. If you stay, you might stay until you can go home or we might make you fight to protect Lorien. And then if you fight to protect Lorien, then maybe you can go home or maybe you'll be dead. Options. (laughs) Well, it certainly makes going on with the fellowship a more attractive prospect because at least there's a chance if we can actually get that ring into the cracks of doom that all will be right in Middle-earth. Except we also know that if that quest is successful, that Lorian's going to fade. So either way, it's probably better if we just all keep on keeping on. And it turns out that when Galadriel Jedi mind tricked them, they had all agreed that they wanted to keep going. And even after their stay in Lorien, they remain resolved. Boromir also points out that for him, the only way to get home is to go forward. He's from the south. Everybody else might be from the west or a bit to the north, but he needs to keep going south. And then, like we talked about last chapter, Celeborn offers some travel advice, how to deal with the Great River, that there's a lot of difficulty involved with traveling on it, and there are only a few options available for fording it because the bridges are down and in control of the enemy, and... There's a lot of choices that have to be made kind of right now before they set out again about where they're going. And basically, they need to decide if they're all going to go to Minas Tirith or if they're going to cross sooner and head to Mordor right away. Mm. And Boromir is making it very clear of what he wants to do. And he's like, but, you know, it doesn't matter what I say. I'm not leading the company. And at this point, Aragorn's not willing to say what his plans are because he didn't know what Gandalf's plans were and he's a bit lost. And so Celeborn says, okay, you don't know what to do yet, but it's not my part to choose. Here are some boats. A few of you know how to manage boats, so they'll serve you for a time and you can just go down the river. You don't need to make a choice of going east or west. You'll just follow the river for a while. So they all go back to have basically a nighttime council. And they, uh, Aragorn in particular, thanks Celeborn for the gifts. And Galadriel wishes them a good night's sleep. But before they go to sleep, they talk for a really long time amongst the fellowship about what they want to do. And they can't really come to a sense of agreement. Um the three other hobbits besides Frodo are going to do whatever Frodo says. Frodo doesn't say anything. Aragorn is still divided because initially he was planning to go to Minas Tirith and help Boromir and the men there. But now that Gandalf perished in the mines of Moria, he feels responsible now to take care of Frodo and the ring, but he's not really sure what that means exactly. And so they go to sleep without really resolving anything exactly. And then there's this, there's this thing though, that Boromir kind of misspeaks. And, and this is a really important breadcrumb, I think. Yeah. So we've got Aragorn pondering what to do because he's pretty much saying, I've been left with less responsibility. What help can he or anyone give Frodo except for blindly walking with him? What purpose do they serve with Frodo? 
versus going to minister to fight. And Boromir declares that he would go alone to Ministereth if he needs to because it's his duty to return there. And then he looks at Frodo and I feel like we heard his inner monologue because it pretty much says it's as if he realised he was speaking aloud. And he goes, if you only wish to destroy the ring, then there is little use in war and weapons and the men of Ministereth cannot help you. But if you wish to destroy the armed might of the Dark Lord, then it is folly to go without force into his domain and folly to throw away. And then realising that he's speaking aloud, he goes, it would be folly to throw away lives, I mean. It is a choice between defending a strong place and walking openly into the arms of death. At least that is how I see it. I think this is important. And it reminds me of what Galadriel said at the end of the last chapter when she was using the mirror with Frodo and Sam and, and Sam says, well, you know, why don't you just make everything right in middle earth? And Gladriel says, well, uh, it would start there, but it wouldn't end there. And clearly Boromir not having eternal time frame to grow his wisdom. Boromir thinks that all that men need is an equal amount of power to the dark Lord. And then they'd have a chance and I, I, my heart kind of sank a little bit here because I, I think that's going to be the downfall of at least some men. You know, maybe not all of the men of Minas Tirith are going to be defeated, but I think they're going to, I think there's going to be some sadness there because they're going to try to wield power or try to get that. Like, I, I, that really made me sad reading that. And that's a really good point because we've learned so much about the Ring's Temptation. We hear going back all the way to his seal door, he cut the ring from Sauron's hand. And even though he was then given the opportunity to destroy it, it had already penetrated his mind as something of great value that he could wield and make things right again with. And now we're seeing with Boromir, his thoughts are turning the same way, where this is such a powerful object, why not use it to defeat the Dark Lord? using might and strength, and then it's okay. Then we can destroy it because then the threat is gone. But we've already had a couple of instances where Frodo has initiated this kind of conversation with someone. And, you know, most recently Galadriel, who was like, yeah, I would turn into basically an evil ice princess who would be just as bad. And I'm wondering too, if Boromir being in such close proximity to the ring, you know, traveling with the fellowship all this way, if he's not just sort of picking up some of that Horcrux energy too, like I, I'm, I'm wondering if even though Frodo's carrying it, if the power of the ring isn't working on all the members of the fellowship somehow unconsciously. Going back to the story of where Gollum came from, his cousin found the ring and was just holding it in his hand and Gollum became so obsessed with it in mere moments that he killed his cousin over it. It is definitely powerful. Yeah, I think we've already had some seeds of distrust shown in Boromir's language and other chapters, and clearly Tolkien wants us to start to distrust him even more. So, yeah, we just got to keep half an eyeball on Boromir now just to make sure that he's still an ally. But for now, the company sleeps without making a decision. 
and in the morning they begin to pack and elves come to them with food and clothing, including a form of thin cake. And when Gimli sees it, he's just like, it's cram. And we remember cram from The Hobbit being the chewy food that the boatmen (laughs) created on Lake Town to help with boat trips because it lasted forever and it was a chewing exercise more than a food. It reminded me of like a fortified (laughs) rice cake, which is like the nastiest thing that you never, I mean, rice cakes are supposed to be like the opposite of this, but it just sounded like the nastiest stuff. But this is not that. This is elvish food. And not only does it taste way better, so Gimli downs the whole thing, but each one is basically a whole day's worth of energy. So the elves are like, no, 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 wait, don't (laughs) eat anymore. So what I wonder if this means that like, Gimli is like super caffeinated now or like hyper energetic because he's consumed a whole day's worth or if it just means that like he's going to go into a food coma later like I have questions Mel what happens to Gimli after he eats this lamb boss whey bread stuff he uh, it's just a really full meal that's going to give him energy for the entire day I don't think it'll make him hyper so much as it's kind of like eating your entire d- daily meals all at once. So maybe a bit food comerish, but it's also strengthening. So he might be okay. But he says that it's better than the honey cakes of the, the Bjornings. And that is a great praise because the Bjornings are the best bakers he ever knew of, but they're none too willing to deal with travelers in these days. I also love that these are callbacks to The Hobbit. And I really did appreciate that, that, the little details and the names and and that, you know, it's clearly all one story. And I, I just, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Those tie-ins are so good because we got to remember where we came from. And so they're given these along with hoods and cloaks and each cloak is made according to the size of the party member of the light but warm silken stuff that Galathrim wove. It was hard to say of what colour they were, grey with the hue of twilight under the trees they seemed to be, and yet if they were moved or set in another light, they were green as shadowed leaves or brown as fallow fields by night, dusk silver as water under the stars. Each cloak was then fastened to a member of the party with a brooch of a green leaf veined with silver. And I realised this image of of the hobbits wearing these cloaks like I think that's the image that I'm always seeing in memes and I do try to avoid them but you know like I think social media has my algorithm now and I every once in a while I I still get fellowship stuff in my feeds and and but it's this picture of them with these cloaks and hoods and they are not armor though they're just garments but I love that they it's going to make them the most comfortable because they're lightweight, but they still will protect them from the elements. And they're the first non-elvish folk to get to wear this particular fabric that the lady herself and her maidens have created. I just, I loved all of that. Yes, I loved the line, never before have we clad strangers in the garb of our own people. I just love that mm-hmm. line. It's showing... This is all of Middle-earth, one by one, as they pass through places unifying around this shared mission to save their lands from Sauron. The elves of Lorien are saying, never before have we done this, but this is important. We are going to do everything we can to help you now. 
And then as they pack up to go, they get a guide to help them through Karis Galathorn and it's Haldir. <laughs> so once again, we have nine in the party, at least for right now. And Haldir has all this information about where they need to go. And, you know, up north, the Dale is not going to be safe. So we've got boats ready. And he walks them on down through the rest of the trees down to the shores of the silver load. I wouldn't have him guiding the party as counting him in any way. I, I think that takes away from who the core party is just to say, oh, somebody else joined them. It's back to normal because it's not the core party. It's so important that the fellowship with those in Rivendell who decided to go on this quest because all Haldir is doing is leading them through his home. He's not doing anything special, I don't think. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's not like he's taking Gandalf's place. Yeah, that's true. Definitely not. No one can replace Gandalf. Right. And the boats are already packed. And I love this part. This made me so happy. They're coiling up rope on top of all the other provisions that have already been loaded into the boats. And Sam's like, what's this? And the elf says, ropes indeed. Never travel far without a rope and one that is long and strong and light. And Sam is like, you don't have to tell me. I've been worried about rope since we set off and I forgot some. So now Sam gets his rope. Yes. And the elves tell him that's made of his line. But there's no time to instruct him on how to make it now. And if only he'd said something earlier, he could have spent his time learning to make Elvish rope. So in the video game version, please tell me there is a side quest where Sam can go off and do rope making. I've never played the video games, but I don't believe that's a side quest. (laughs) That would be so much fun. So then they're told to practice getting in and out of the boats where they are before they're downstream because... While the boats won't sink and they will carry them and they can't overburden them, they still need to make sure they're steady on their feet. And then we get the arrangements. Aragorn, Frodo and Sam in a boat, Boromir with Merry and Pippin, and Legolas and Gimli in the third boat. And they had become fast friends. Okay. I love this. I also notice that this division of party members amongst the three boats very closely follows what we were talking about in previous episodes about splitting up the party into other quests. So I'm wondering if this is not a little bit of foreshadowing that Aragorn, Frodo, and Sam are going to keep walking the ring. Boromir, Merry, and Pippin are going to go to Minas Tirith and then uh, maybe be the ones that then have to go bust out Isengard, and then Legolas and Gimli are going to have the buddy cop adventure into Mirkwood. So I, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. And I, uh, I'll i probably just kick that forward into my predictions. But I, I, I couldn't help noticing the way that everybody's divvied up. Maybe it could be some foreshadowing. Who knows? I guess we'll have to read <laughs> the books. But I do love hearing your theories and predictions all the time. So... The company starts heading downstream and as they're going, they start hearing a song and they see a great swan coming towards them and it's described so beautifully before it says, and suddenly they perceived that it was a ship wrought and carved with elven skill in the likeness of a bird and on it 
is Galadriel and Celeborn. And they're singing an Elvish song about Elvish history. Prediction coming true. It's so good. It's not even just about history. It is the song is actually Galadriel's history and future and present. If you read it, because she says, I sang of leaves of gold and leaves of gold there grew. Blah, 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 beneath the stars of Ever Eve in Eldemar at Sean in Eldemar beside the walls of Elventirion. And then she goes on to sing about Lorien. Oh, Lorien, the winter has come, the bare and leafless day. The leaves are falling in the stream, the river flows away. And then at the end it says, But if of ships I now should sing, what ship would come to me? What ship would bear me ever back across so wide a sea? And I love that. It's her story. And her question she now has, because at the end of last chapter, when she passed her test, she says that she would now go west, and that means back to the lands of Valinor, where elves sort of came from, very complicated, but saying she'll now go back west. And it's her just saying, well, how do I get there? And as Galadriel is finishing this amazing song, then Celeborn says the best thing. He's like, you've been our guests, but you actually haven't eaten with us. So it's time to have a feast. And they pull up to the hive and they get out onto the green grass and have this farewell feast, which I also loved because they needed to have like a celebration of everybody and, you know, fortify the party for their next adventure. And while they eat, Celeborn starts to describe the lands they're going to find, saying, you know, on this bank you'll find that, on that bank you'll find this. But I just got to say, am I the only one who's a child who, when he goes over the cataracts of Rauros, down into the Nindalf, the wet wang, as it is called in your tongue, I can't be the only child in the room. No, you're not. And uh, this is supposedly a family-friendly podcast, so we won't do a deep dive into the etymology of this particular <laughs> wet wang in your tongue. But yeah, but I, the twelve-year-old boy in each of us is having a real giggle right now. <laughs> I was uh, weightlifting as I listened to the audio book, and I almost dropped my weight because I started laughing in the middle of the gym because I am twelve and a boy, apparently. <laughs> And Celeborn counsels them that Boromir and anybody else going to Minas Tirith should leave the Great River above Rauros and cross the Entwash before they get into the marshes. Because if they go too far, they're going to become entangled in the forest. And nobody really knows what that forest is. And Boromir and Aragorn already probably know this advice, but he gives it to them anyway. And Boromir says, yeah, we have a little bit of knowledge of this, but it's like old wives tales and stuff that we tell our children. And, and then I love this response of Celeborn. He's like, yeah, well, don't disparage everything that's passed down this way, because sometimes old wives actually knew what they were talking about. And Boromir kind of just is so dismissive though of the whole thing. He goes, I have been to Rohan and while I've never crossed it northwards, I've crossed it and I've got no fear. I can do this and I can do that. And Celeborn goes, then I need say no more. <laughs> and that's, of course, when he also says the line about the wives, which is just cherry on the cake. I do think that Boromir's arrogance is going to come back 
to bite him in the tuchus. Just going to say it. So then not only do the elves throw them this big feast, but Galadriel stands up and fills a cup with white mead, gives it first to Kelborn and then to each member of the party. So they basically have this sort of ceremonial drinking game. Well, it's not even a game. They have the, they share this ceremonial drink as the cup of parting. I loved this so much. The ceremony of it and the the significance of everyone sharing the same stuff. Yeah, it's this beautiful moment and it leads into the giving of gifts. And first they decide to give a gift to Aragorn as leader of the company. And it is a sheath for Andril. And it is done beautifully with flowers and leaves wrought of silver and gold and elven runes formed of many gems which spell Andriel and the lineage of the sword. Galadriel explains that the blade that is drawn from this sheath shall not be stained or broken even in defeat. And then says, is there anything else that I can give you because darkness is going to come between us and we might not meet again? And it turns out that what Aragorn really wants is not in the power of Galadriel to give. So she pulls out this precious stone. And it's something that was given to Celebrian and then to her daughter. And then we get this new name for Aragorn. That this hour is now foretold and with the giving of this stone, he gets this new name. It is Elazar the Elfstone of the House of Elendil. And Aragorn accepts this gift and he puts it on and it says, Those who saw him wondered, for they had not marked before how tall and kingly he stood. And it seemed to them that many years of toil had fallen from his shoulders. For the gifts that you have given me, I thank you, he said, O Lady of Lorien, whom were sprung Celebrian and Arwen Evenstar. What praise could I say more? Now, the Lady Arwen, I just want to make sure that I remember this correctly. Isn't she the one that Aragorn is, like, sweet on? Yep, so Elrond's daughter. So Elrond married Galadriel's daughter, and they had Arwen. Mmm. Okay, I'm starting to pick up the family tree here. (laughs) So then she goes to Boromir, who she gives a belt of gold. Merry and Pippin, she gives belts of silver. Legolas gets a bow of the Galathrim, longer and stouter than the bows of Mirkwood, and strung with the string of elf hair. With And with it comes a quiver of arrows. And then Sam gets the cutest and coolest present ever. He gets this little plain box of wood except for a single silver rune on the lid. And she says, right now it's G for Galadriel, but for you, it could just as well be G for garden. And inside is some blessed earth. And, you know, Sam has really been missing his home. And he saw in Galadriel's mirror all of this uproar 
and devastation in the Shire. But with this gift of Earth, she says, if he ever does manage to get back home, if he plants with this Earth, that then new gardens will grow. And I just love that. And it's sort of like, okay, Sam's missing home, but he's got this little bit now of elvish earth that is going to even enrich his home more. And I'm sure that is going to also fortify him to feel like, okay, I can do this. I can make it to the end of this quest and then I can get us all back home. I loved it. It is such a beautiful gift. I really love this scene. And probably my favorite part is the gift she gives to Gimli because she doesn't know what to give him. And so she says, what can we give you? What can we offer to you? And at first Gimli refuses. And he says, it is enough for me to have seen the lady of the Galathrim and to have heard her gentle words. And Galadriel is saying, let's not call dwarves grasping and ungracious, but yet surely Gimli son of Gloin, you desire something, name it. And he once again refuses and then he thinks about it and he says he only wants a single strand of her hair, which surpasses the gold of the earth as the stars surpass the gems of the mine. And this causes a stir and this scene is such a huge tie-in to so much stuff in history, but to make it brief... Also, please excuse the noise. I've got a cat in here, guys. But to make it brief, Galadriel's uncle, Feanor, who did nothing wrong, came to her and asked for three locks of her hair. And she continued to refuse him. And it was a big deal. And she refused and she refused. But she is giving Gimli three strands of her hair. He asks for one, but she gives him three after he explains what he wants to do with it because he says he wants to treasure it in memory of your words to me at our first meeting. And if ever I return to the smithies of my home, it shall be set in imperishable crystal to be an heirloom of my house and a pledge of goodwill between the mountain and the wood until the end of days. Mm. My heart. Well, and then she says these words go with the gift that she's not making a prediction because none of that's worth anything in these later days. But she says that Gimli son of Glowin, your hands shall flow with gold and yet over you gold shall have no dominion. And that is such a callback to Smaug and Erebor and the poison of riches and the characters that we've already seen who were pursuing and guarding and hoarding gold and then had all of that turn their hearts and souls dark. So I just love that. I also am even more determined to see Gimli get back to Erebor because then he can now be in charge of the Lonely Mountain and all of those riches, and yet his heart will remain pure. It's definitely a huge thing, she said, this blessing. I think we should call it a blessing she gives him, saying that Mm -hmm. God's never going to hold over you. And finally she comes to Frodo 
Though she comes to him last, he is not last in her thoughts. And she gives him a crystal vial and in it is light. And it is the light of Arendil's star, who we've heard about several times now. He was the mariner who flew his ship up into the sky and is Mm -hmm. also Elrond's father because family trees are important. And this will shine still brighter when the night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Oh, going to cry. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Well, and I mean, clearly that's going to be important. We don't know when or what for, but clearly Frodo is going to have to use this elvish light, this blessed elvish light from Arendelle Star, clearly. And with that, they get back into their boats and they depart. And as they're leaving, they can hear a song being sung in elvish. And once again, there's this beautiful song just talking about time and the elves. And they speak about Varda, who we usually call Elbereth, Queen of the Stars. And it's just one, just such a beautiful parting from Lorien, which is like this almost dream sequence, the three chapters they spend there. Mm-hmm. And they can still see Galadriel standing there at the fork in the river as they are continuing to float on down. They can see her figure and she's kind of glowing with this white light and they're just watching her get smaller and smaller as they head down the river. Yep, and then they sweep around a bend and no longer can see Galadriel or Lorien and says, to that fair land, Frodo never came again. And we have this wonderful kind of outburst of emotion from Gimli, who has previously been sort of quiet. I mean, he had a few things to say about going to Moria, but he's not been like a major emotional part of the party, except when he's been arguing with Legolas. Well, now they're bros. So he really opens up here and he's like, tell me, like, why did it even come? You know, I, I had these beautiful experiences, but now my heart is just broken again. And, and, you know, I, I don't think I can take any more of this, basically. And Legolas responds again with this beautiful response, which is clearly a piece of why they've now become so close. And Legolas says, but I count you blessed, Gimli, son of Glowen, for your loss. You suffer of your own free will, and you might have chosen otherwise, but you have not forsaken your companions. And the least reward that you shall have is that the memory of Lothlorien shall remain ever clear and unstained in your heart and shall neither fade nor grow stale. I love that because if if Gimli hadn't come, he wouldn't even have this memory. And Gimli thanks him and he says that your words are probably true, but all comfort is cold. Memory is not what the heart desires. That is only a mirror, be it as clear as Keledzarem, or so say the heart of Gimli, the dwarf. Elves may see things otherwise. Indeed, I have heard that for them, memory is more like the waking world than to a dream not so for dwarves. And so Legolas says, then let's talk no more of it. Let's just focus on our boat. And he takes up his paddle and begins to follow Aragorn, who's leading them. And this last paragraph is just this description of the river as they float down it and the trees on either side. 
And they're basically going off into another version of desolation. There is no voices of birds. The sun is going down. It's getting cold again at night. There's trees that look like ghosts and they're twisted roots into the water. And it's dreary and cold. And the sound of the water lapping against the boats eventually puts everybody to sleep. Or Frodo, anyway. Hey, everyone. Have you remembered to follow us on our social media? We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podmoot. You can also check down below for a link to our Discord. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with your friends. Thanks, y'all. Do you have a character shout-out this week, Kristen? This one was harder because there are several really important things that happen in this chapter. But I still think I need to give it again to Galadriel because not only did the elves, like the entire population of Lothlorien, take care of the party and then stock them up with boats and supplies and guide them to the river and all that, But Galadriel is the one who seems to have organized all the rest of it. You know, Celeborn does the formal invitation, but here's this feast. Galadriel's had them make the cloth for the robes and hoods that they're wearing. She's chosen these very specific gifts for each member, which that's got to play a role. Each one of those gifts has got to play a role for each one of those characters moving forward. And then she's the one that they're watching as they go away. So I, I I really have a hard time finding someone who played a larger role in the chapter than Galadriel. I'm uh, cautious about you giving doubles. Last time you gave a double, it was Gandalf and he died. So, <laughs> Oh, oh, Mel, too soon. No. Well, <laughs> at least the elves are eternal and somewhat immortal. So we're, we are not sending Galadriel to the Havens anytime soon. <laughs> Mine, I also struggled with, not so much that I want to give it to Galadriel because I feel she's an obvious choice in that, you know, she made cloaks, she did things, but I like doing subtlety sometimes. So then I was debating between Celeborn, who obviously gives them the feast, the parting, gives them some understanding of the terrain they're going to face without giving them advice other than the slight recommendation to get off the river at the falls of Rauros if they want to go to Minas Tirith and Gimli because just knowing what I know with how important one the strands of hair are to the history of Middle Earth and the wider world two for his growth as a character he has gone from hating elves we had the council of elrond where his father was bringing up what happened back in mirkwood and gimli was very much at the beginning always quick to throw an insult at legolas to loving them and seeing a way forward for both elves and dwarves so having explained it out i'm giving mine to gimli with an honorable mention to galadriel and Celeborn for their help i also want to put in an honorable mention for Aragorn because I think it was very important 
that Aragorn took his time in deciding which direction they were going to go. And it's important because we see that this decision is going to make a big difference, obviously, in the way the story unfolds. But I think it's important that he isn't appearing to choose sides between the men of Minas Tirith and then this quest of the ring. Like, I, I think that's going to be important going forward, that that Aragorn is sort of a neutral party then between Boromir and Frodo. So we'll see what happens with that. I was going to say, eventually there's going to have to be some kind of decision, though. Well, and we see a little bit in this chapter that Boromir a little bit takes over because he's like, I'm heading for the, I'm going to flow on the western side of the river. So I, I think we're already seeing a little bit of power struggle. So, yeah, that's going to play out in the next chapter, I think. All right. Let's go with prediction versus fiction for this week. Dun, dun, dun. So Elrond's sons had more info. A meeting will take place to pass along this information. Uh, I don't know if any of that information came from Elrond's sons, but there was a kind of meeting just to pass along terrain information by Celeborn. The company will stay together for a bit longer, while they're currently together. Without Gandalf, it will be harder to make a unified decision. We'll find out what Legolas and Gimli were doing together making friends yeah we don't know anything more specific about that but i i think that information is gonna tease itself out there'll be an elvish farewell party with singing yeah, there was it's close enough to a party <laughs> it was a feast and there was singing there were two very big songs one that galadriel sang and one that in the elvish one that everybody sang there'll be elvish history through the songs there was a little bit of it concrete information about where they need to go and how to go there Kind of. Nothing's ever concrete from elves. There'll be discussion about Frodo seeing the eyes that have been following them, allegedly. Once they leave Lorien, the spies of the enemy will be able to see them again. Yeah, we don't know. But I, I'm I'm betting that we're going to, in the next chapter, we're, we're back out in the open again. The, the chance for disaster is very high. So our next chapter is called The Great River. Okay, well, we always start with the softball prediction so i predict they are going to be on the great river so then you always ask me like can you be a little more specific about what you think is going to happen so i think there is going to be further conversation and a bit of a power struggle about where they're actually going but i think they are going to go to Minas Tirith. i think they are going to have trouble getting the boats where they need to go i think the there's going to be some drama with the river where the river is going to be too powerful for them. They're going to lose supplies. And it could be even that one of the boats is not able to get out at the same time. So it could be that I, I think Boromir's boat does end up at Minas Tirith. And I also think Aragorn's boat ends up at Minas Tirith. But I think perhaps Legolas and Gimli are going to get split up. And they're, they are not going to be able to get out of the river in time. And they're going to end up heading towards those marshes. And therefore, they're going to be forced to dock on the other side of the river somewhere. And we're not going to see what happens to them going forward. Uh, we're not going to see what happens to them ever? Or do you think we'll eventually find out what their fate is? 
Well, certainly by the next book, I think we find out, but, but I, I think it's going to be limited. I think there's going to be a lot of speculation amongst Aragorn, Boromir and the hobbits about what to do now without them, but also they're going to be making plans for how to defend. Well, no, I think this chapter is all going to be about the river. I think it's all going to be the difficulty of being on the water and having to carry the boats. I think we're going to have a lot of description about just how hard the journey is. And the end of it is going to be, oh my God, only two of the three boats made it. Important question. Can you remember the name of this river? The Anduin? Yay! Cool. I just wanted to know. Do you have any further predictions you want to make about that chapter coming up? I think there's going to be some mention of some sort of spies, evil spies, whether it's more birds. I mean, they there was this line at the end of this chapter about they didn't hear any sounds of birds, but I, I think there's going to be some mention of the the sort of overarching danger. We're going to find out that, like like I predicted before, that that Sauron's going to know where they are, or or if some some information is going to be able to get to Sauron about where they are. Okay, homework for next week is The Great River. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmoot at gmail.com and our website is podmoot.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.